podcast one production. While there's mutual trust and a collegial care in psychologically safe environments, it's one of open candor. And so you're more likely to see more healthy conflict or disagreement and disruptive conversations because people feel safe enough to have them. And so you can start to see where there's silence or people aren't disagreeing with each other. That can also be a sign that actually psychological safety doesn't exist. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. There's that feeling that you may have experienced in small fragments or in overwhelmingly big and constant ways. The feeling of not quite being included or being in a team where everyone knows that if you challenge a leader or an idea, you'll get shot down. The feeling of not wanting to contribute or fearing saying, I don't know. These feelings are all examples of not feeling psychologically safe a term that's become a common part of the workplace vernacular and something that can be easily misunderstood if we don't understand the real meaning. Joining me to explore the topic of psychological safety is Sophie Hample, organisational psychologist and founder of leadership and diversity consultancy, Inkling. Sophie, you've been consulting in the workplace for over a decade and have the super successful leadership programs and an international client base. It's quite extraordinary. Congratulations. Thank you, Margie. It's great to have you here. I want to explore psychological safety. But before we talk about that, I'm curious, what was the reason or the catalyst for you being really passionate about this subject? It's probably a little selfish in a lot of ways because I think for me, my experiences of not feeling psychologically safe, of feeling lacking in confidence, of feeling like I didn't belong really always led me deeper into that space. And I think some of them go back to sort of early childhood. But then I think the the biggest areas where I really came a thing for me was in my early career. Um, so if I go back to my early childhood, I moved from, you know, Adelaide as a young girl to Fiji. And the first school that my sister and I went to, we were the only white kids at school. And so I acknowledge that being white comes with a level of privilege. But as a little girl, I really didn't understand that at all. I just looked and sounded different. I had Vegemite sandwiches, which was really uncool. Um, But, you know, I I really struggled and I watched myself go from being quite a confident little girl to being very quiet, not asking questions. And it really impacted my learning. So I think as I looked back on that experience as an adult, I can see how I was quite moved, you know, on a deeper level by that lack of, of feeling safe. And then you went to work, but in your first early career, not feeling psychologically safe. What happened? So, I mean, I I had this great opportunity when I was doing my master's to go in and do all these different placements. And so you go into lots of different businesses. I worked with lots of different leaders and I found myself in some environments having a massive crisis of confidence. Like I remember standing up in front of a group and speaking and just no words would come out or being in a meeting and just forgetting what I was trying to say I remember being in meetings and just thinking of something that I wanted to say and having like quite a big anxiety response. And so this is the feeling then of not feeling safe. Is that right? Yeah. So I I felt that quite, 
quite strongly. And so I think for me, I started to recognize that actually in some environments, I felt more confident, more safe to contribute. And then in others, I didn't. And I noticed quite a significant difference, you know, in terms of the leaders that I was working with, where I was able to come out of my shell versus where I wasn't. And I think, to be completely honest, I think I, I blamed it all on myself for a long time. And so there was this focus of how do I become more confident? And I spent a lot of my career actually helping myself become more confident, teaching others to do that. But through that work, I actually started to realize that there is an important place for that, but there's also the environment and that that's actually a big key part to actually how we help ourselves and others unlock their confidence and and the best and potential that exists in them. So I love this idea of actually the internal and the external and you having recognised that. And often when we recognise things in our own selves, it's much easier to support others. So what is psychological safety? What does it mean? Because it can sound a little bit like management speak to the person who's never heard it before. Totally. What the research suggests is that it's actually about a climate. It's an environment where people feel safe to ask questions, share ideas, admit mistakes even. And so it's this sense of safe candor. It's this this open space where people can speak up, share ideas, etc. And I often talk about it as as group trust. So it's not just something that exists between two people, it's what exists within a group. And if you think about the way in which we're needing to work, I mean you work with a lot of teams, Margie, you know, groups need to work collaboratively together. And so if there's a lack of people feeling like they can speak up and share their ideas, that really hinders performance. And I think being someone who's not felt psychologically safe, it actually, it doesn't feel great. You don't feel like you're showing your potential. And look, to be really brutally honest and vulnerable here, I've as a facilitator felt unsafe in environments Mm. where participants have lobbed really aggressive things at me and I've then always stood back and thought, hold on, if that's happening to me, imagine what's going on in the team. And I think about some teams where it's just, you're just happy that you're not being picked on. So you just be quiet. Is that what we're talking about when we say psychological safety? So the idea is that in a psychologically safe environment, there's this you feel free to take interpersonal risks. So it's this risk. I mean, we all have it, right? We all care what, you know, what do people think of me? Yeah. Uh, we want to do a good job or we don't want to look stupid. You know, that that's hardwired into us quite deeply. And so, you know, while we have to manage that in a self-talk, right, we have to manage that ourselves, the environment does make a difference. And even just that, that example you shared, like I, you know, remember working with an executive team who had this, you know, they were like, we are, we're so safe together. And it was very true. There was a lot of, you know, open dialogue and, and banter. But the, the interesting thing was anyone that came into that room was terrified because actually they had built this, this core group that actually wasn't open and reflective of others. And if you think about you back in Fiji, you weren't one of the cool kids. You yeah. weren't accepted or yeah. included or being part yeah. of the group. And I think that's very important for any team member who's listening to think about what sort of environment they're creating for others, not just for each other. Yeah, exactly. You know, and if you think about an organisation at the most senior levels, you need to be able to hear from people at lower levels about what's actually going on, Um, which is what is really interesting about the research in this space because 
you don't really know if it doesn't exist until something goes terribly wrong because okay. it's it's silence. You know when it's there actually when you hear more mistakes, when you actually hear things that are not working, when people are actually speaking up more. And actually that's where Amy Edmondson stumbled on this when she was studying this idea of high-performing teams and, you know, a learning workplace. She actually, the assumption that she had was that if you validly measured a high-performing team, that those teams would make less mistakes. And she found the exact opposite when she dug into the research that actually, hang on a second, you know, I've got a, a valid tool that's measuring what would be considered as a high-performing team. And the high-performing teams are recording more mistakes than those that would be considered low-performing or underperforming teams. That doesn't make sense. But actually when she dug in, she started to realise, no, it's not that they're necessarily making more mistakes, they just talk about them. Right. And so in the teams that were low-performing, they don't talk about it because that psychological safety isn't there. They don't want to take that interpersonal risk because they don't want to be humiliated. They don't, they don't want to be put down. They don't, they want to feel that shame right. that, that comes in a psychologically unsafe environment. And if you carry the shame, I'd imagine, with you into a team, then your thinking's going to be really restricted in terms of new ideas and innovation and, you know, all of those things anyway, let alone speaking about them. Let's go back to Amy Edmondson again, because yeah. she is the person who actually discovered, as you said, through her research. What else did she discover? What was she doing out there? What environment was she in when she looked at this? I mean, she actually started off doing a lot of uh, her research in healthcare and it has a strong personal connection for me because my sister, it works in the children's ICU. And so you can imagine there's a level of difference around identifying errors in a children's ICU ward than in some other environments where it's not life or death, but the, the outcomes are still the same. So it, what's really interesting is that she found that even when there was a situation where someone may need to speak up, so for example, if you were a nurse and you felt that maybe the doctor was making the wrong decision, that challenge around speaking up and putting yourself out there in an unpsychologically safe environment, even though the implications of that error was life or death for a patient, that there was this sense of so strong here and now, that fear that people, and it was maybe even slightly unconscious that people would make that call, that they would just choose to stay quiet. And so that's really interesting that where, you know, in that moment, you can almost distance yourself. And it's, it's common for all of us that you distance yourself from actually the implications of not speaking up. Because you're self-protecting. Because you're self-protecting. Because you don't want to feel that fear or the retribution of what might come down. So that's extraordinary. That is life and death, isn't yeah. it? So then does she translate that back into corporate and business and other teams? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think she talks about it as discounting the future. So in that moment where we are have this opportunity to actually speak up, if that intense fear or anxiety is there. And so, and I should say it doesn't always need to be intense. Sometimes it's just as quiet like, oh, actually, you know what? I'm A little bit subtle, yeah. Yeah, I'm just not going to put it out there. So, you know, I, I know a, a person that I've worked with who shared a story with me um, where she always tells me, I, I really want you to share this story with other people because it's so important to this topic of psychological safety. 
and she had been recently promoted and she was in a meeting with a number of her peers and one-ups. These were a number of executive people and in this meeting she took a lot of notes, she didn't say anything and her male colleague came over to her after the meeting and said, you were taking great notes, would you mind if I borrowed your notes? And she said, of course, no problems at all because they did this for each other quite a lot. It was what happened the next day that upset her because he came back to her and said, thank you so much for sharing your notes with me. I've just got a question for you. And she said, what? He said, you captured everything that was being said beautifully, but on on the other side of the page, you had questions, comments, and ideas. He said, you didn't say any of them. And at this point, when she was recounting the story to me, she was very upset because she had had this moment of discounting the future where in that moment, even though she knew that those questions and those comments and ideas were really critical to the conversation, she was terrified of actually it being silly or stupid or her making someone else in the room look silly. So I think sometimes we're like, oh, I don't want to upset the boss or that other senior person who's got a a high profile. I don't want to make them look silly. Yeah. And so, you know, he said to her, her male colleague said, we need to get that group back together right now. We've gone in the wrong direction. And that actually led to some significant changes from the path they were taking. But I think it's such a, it's a good example of when psychological safety doesn't exist, what can play out. And there were, I'm talking huge financial implications from the decision that was being made. If we think about that's what it is, it's not blame, it's openly talking about mistakes, it's being able to share ideas and not being shamed, it's all of those things. And I have to admit that some of my clients have claimed that it's a bit PC, you know, oh, we're going too far. But what is psychologically safe environments? What aren't they? Like, you know, fear and things like that. Don't we need a bit of tension soap in the room? Don't we need a bit of, you know, opportunity to feel uncomfortable? A hundred percent. And I think that's the common misperception around psychological safety, that it's, you know, people imagine everyone sitting around in a room holding hands and singing Kumbaya and everyone gets along. (laughs) Yoga poses for everybody today. No, that's not what it is at all. Okay. Um, I think it's, it's actually, in a lot of instances, it's the opposite of that because while there's mutual trust and a collegial care in psychologically safe environments, it's one of open candor. And so you're more likely to see more healthy conflict or disagreement and disruptive conversations because people feel safe enough to have them. And so, again, I think you can start to see where there's silence or people aren't disagreeing with each other. That can also be a sign that actually psychological safety doesn't exist. And before you mentioned that it was subtle, and I had a client who used to always contextualise any question she was about to say. So she'd put in, you know, three or four caveats beforehand. Oh, look, you might not agree with what I'm about to say. Um, You can disagree with me if you don't want me to say this. And then she'd ask a question. And I then discussed this with her about the environment she was in. And it really was that the environment wasn't psychologically safe. And there's a little thing, and she looked at herself, like you said, all the time as the problem. And then we were able to have the sense that she needed to talk to the team and the leader about what needed to change. Yeah, and I I love that, that it was, you know, I think, again, I I shared that that moment happened Mm. for me as well um, Mm. in seeing this play out because what I started to realise is there were so many different types of people in many different moments. You know, it doesn't have to just be women 
for example, experiencing that lack of confidence, which often gets attributed to, Mm. you know, I've worked with really strong, confident male leaders who also have those moments of not feeling psychologically safe and, and holding back. So I think, you know, it plays out in all different areas. I think the other thing that it's not is it's not a lack of anxiety altogether or a lack of fear. So I think people think, oh, psychological safety is this non-existent idea where everyone's just feeling safe and happy. It's like, well, no, this is the reality of the world, right? I mean, we've just been through COVID. Um, it's not, doesn't mean that people don't fear that they might lose their job or if they don't perform, for example, that there's no repercussions. And, you know, again, the, the research really talks about this idea of psychologically safe needing to exist as well as having other factors like high performance standards. So it's not like you just have psychological safety and that's all you need. You still have this need for high performance standards. And I think some of the research that came out of the Aristotle project, which was Google's large scale project into team dynamics, they looked at teams all over the world with lots of different makeups of a team. And they were really trying to nut out what made a really high performing team. And they went round and round again, not really coming up with anything until they finally landed on the, on this idea of psychological safety and all the data seemed to fall into place. And they actually found it was the most important dynamic. That is an extraordinary piece of research. And I know that well, and I used to joke with people and say, have you just given me the $5 million beforehand? I could have done it. I'm sure they spent more than that. They claimed <laughs> to pay five years and $5 million to find the answer. But it is extraordinary, isn't it, that it comes down to the ability to be able to speak up and share with your colleagues and not feel shamed or stupid in the moment and to have that sort of energy. Really, when you think about high performance and all that's written about it, that this is actually at the core of it. It's really quite extraordinary. Well, I mean, in some ways it makes sense, right, because from an evolutionary perspective, if you think about how we've evolved and grown as humans, we needed to fit in in order to survive. You know, we were cast out if we didn't fit in or if we didn't add value. And if you look at some of the research that's been done in terms of, you know, just looking at our brain and our nervous system, there's a part of our brain, the amygdala, which is really on the lookout for threat. And so when fear is experienced, it's sort of activated. And so there's a part of us that is on the lookout for threat. And so we're not being worried about being eaten by saber-toothed tigers anymore, but there's a part of us that's, that is concerned about, you know, threats that might exist in the workplace, for example, even if we know on a logical level that they might not, you know, we're not going to lose our job. There's still just that it's, it's quite powerful. It's hardwired into us deeply. And I even, I think about, as you were talking about that, don't want to look like I'm stupid. You know, so what does that mean? I'll be quiet rather than speak up. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sophie, We understand that it's important now and that the subtleties of how it might appear or look for each of us, how do we build it? How do we create this magic thing for high-performance teams called psychological safety? Have you got any magic tips for us? Well, I think one of the biggest things that came out of the research that hit me in the face was actually the biggest driver of it is the leader, the direct leader. And so even in cultures where the corporate culture was really strong, um, they found examples of really high and really low psychological safety that existed within teams within that same business. And that came down to the direct leader. And so what we know is that while it exists at the team level, the setting of the tone of psychological safety comes from the leader, the direct leader. Okay. So what should you do as a leader to build it? 
So I would say one of the first things is that element of humble curiosity. I think if you are a leader and you assume you have all the answers, you're not really setting up an environment for people to be able to speak up and and share. So I think coming from that assumption that you don't know at all and really leaning into asking lots of questions. One of our um, leaders at Inkling set up this amazing meeting once a week with her team where they would come together and they'd talk about what worked, what didn't work and what they would like to change. And so there was an element of her of learning, but she also, as part of that, there was a humbleness about how she would always name her own mistakes. So what didn't work, she'd say, I did this or I did that. And she created this really, you know, straight away I started to see massive innovation starting to happen in her team because she was actually setting this this tone of, I made a mistake. <laughs> um, and then and then the team would help her solve that. You know, so we're like, oh, well, we, we should try this. Why don't we try that? And so that, you know, humble curiosity, she was always coming from a place of I don't have all the answers, but there was also a, a curiosity around helping and, and wanting to learn from the team about other ways they could do it. And the opposite of curiosity is being right, isn't yeah. it? So just being so sure of your own yeah. space. So I love yeah. that. What else can a leader do to build psychological safety? Well, I think making fear normal. Okay. normalizing it. That sounds a bit like a roller coaster ride for me. I just <laughs> not into fear at all. So so how do we make fear normal, Sophie? Well, I mean, I think it's this it, it's starting to assume and understand that there's a level of fear that would exist. Um, and particularly if you're a leader and you've got, you know, a diverse team, for example, or you've got certain individuals who don't maybe look and sound like other people, what the research would suggest is they're more likely to be at risk of, of feeling that interpersonal fear um, that comes up because that's just naturally what happens for us when we're different. Not always, but there's it's more likely that that's going to happen. So I think talking about some of this, I think, you know, you've done a number of great podcasts on vulnerability, but I think there's an element of where a leader can be vulnerable. It's Vulnerability is not about, I'm great, I'm going to come and share all my personal problems, but talking about where you might be experiencing fear, where you have experienced fear as a leader starts to normalise it and it creates a safer space for other people to go, oh, yes, <laughs> I felt fear there or I'm feeling scared about this. So I think it's normalising it and actually helping people to act in spite of those fears. So, you know, ways in which you can overcome and address them and, and making it safe not to be perfect. Oh, I love that one. Safe not to be perfect. My youngest daughter calls me fast and loose, so I'm not anywhere near in danger of being perfect. But what would that look like? How do we manage that perfectionism tendency, especially when we're rewarded for it? Oh, yes, we are very much so in in a lot of our organisations. And look, I think for a lot of leaders, they get promoted because of it. Mm. But I look, I think one of the things that I often work with leaders around and, you know, something I've had to lean into myself is actually when I make a mistake, even if no one else could catch it, that I bring it back and share it with the team. So I call it out because I think that, again, just goes, okay, yep, Soph makes lots of mistakes. Yes. Um, And I do kind of reflect on them. But I think, you know, again, this is what the research shows. It's not just about making mistakes and careless errors and ha, 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 let's have a laugh. It's about how you learn from them. So it's the the reflections and how you make changes as a result of that. Amazing. I think I could keep talking to you forever. Are there any last guidance or tips for those that want to build psychological safety in the workplace? 
I think the last bit would be, and again, I know a topic that you talk about a lot, but it's it's the empathy piece. So I think it's that step that you need to take around taking yourself out of your own shoes and trying to perceive what it's like to be others in the room. And I think as a result of that, particularly in a team setting, just being really mindful of that, being really mindful when someone is not speaking up and sharing and and not necessarily calling them out in front of the group, mm. um, but but actually thinking about, okay, what's going on for that person? How might I adapt my style or the way that we're interacting as a group or how might I find a safe way to have a conversation with that person so that I can better understand what's going on? So I think it's addressing this in an empathetic way, not just, oh, great, now everyone has to talk in the meeting. Right. Um, depending on the people that you've got and what might be going on for them, that actually could actually heighten their sense of anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, I don't, you know, they'll be finding ways to cut, not come to team meetings. So I think it's that empathetic response and knowing that you have to adjust. There's an authentic adaptive approach where you don't want to lose yourself, but you need to adapt to your people and be thoughtful about what might be going on for them and why they might not be speaking up as much as others. And on that last note, I think actually knowing and being aware about psychological safety, what it is, and that there's an intention of building a team around it, that awareness will give you a choice about the way that you move forward as a leader and even how you might bring it up to others to help create a better psychologically safe environment in the workplace. Oh, Sophie, this has been so interesting. We could talk for hours, I suspect. Lots of great research there. Thank you so much for coming on Fast Track. Thank you, Margie. It's been an absolute honour. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Tina Matalov, Audio production by Darcy Thompson, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.